My name's Dustin Zahn, and this is Trainwrecks. This week's guest is Matt Edwards, but to most people, he's best known as Radio Slave. I've known Matt for about 10 years now. I booked him for a party in Minneapolis with my buddy Phil, and we've stayed in touch ever since. Uh, we trade music back and forth a lot, and eventually uh, some of my music came out on his label, Records, which many of you know is Stranger to Stability. And, uh, well, I've been I've been meaning to, you know, give him something new for Records ever since, and I just, well, I don't have an answer for that, actually. But, uh, yeah, I'm going to get that handled soon enough. Anyway, back to Matt. Matt's been one of my favorite producers for about the past 10 or 12 years. And uh, he's got this certain trademark sound that's really hypnotic and repetitive, but it keeps you, you know, entranced and it keeps that tension without it getting too boring. And, uh, you know, it like every remix seems to be something like 10 minutes, 12 minutes, whatever, if not longer. I think he did one for... DJ Hell and Puff Daddy or something, and it was like a half hour long. So yeah, he his 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 vibe is to really kind of stretch it out and see how far you can go with an idea, and it always seems to work. Um, his other aliases span like a bunch of different genres. A few of them you might recognize are Cabin Fever, which is more on the house tip. Uh, he did a record as Canvas, which was kind of a big record in the minimal DC-10 Circa Loco days uh, around 2006 or 7. Uh, DJ Maxi, which leans more towards uh, disco vibes. And under Wreckit, he did things in that kind of left-field, down-tempo sort of hip-hop vein. And one of his most uh, weird uh, aliases would be The Machine, which is some sort of like voodoo-styled, world-beat, minimal kind of stuff. Uh, it's pretty tripped out. And uh, Joe Classell did, I think, a whole remix album of it even. So if you're interested in any of that, check it out for sure. Uh, for a lot of people, he's best known as a remixer, even though he's done a lot of things. His remix credits read like a who's who of house and techno. Um, it all kicked off from about 10, now nah, about 15 years ago with a big remix of, uh, Kylie Minogue and some other pop acts that followed. And then after a few short years of that, he went a bit more underground. Since then, he is, uh, he's done that for about 10 or 12 years and he's been on fire ever since. His singles are always something to look forward to and his No Sleep series is still iconic in Berlin to this day. Uh, I'm not sure if Discogs is accurate, but he's listed with 376 remixes under his belt. I'm sure there are some duplicates, but the reality is, is he's managed to have at least a few massive hits every year. Um, you know, this makes him one of the most frequently charted artists on Resident Advisor. And as a DJ, he's no slouch either. He's played everywhere with everybody at the best clubs and festivals. His jacking, party-infused kind of take on house and techno didn't just come overnight. Uh, he started off way back when in England and became a resident at Ministry of Sound ages ago. And currently, he plays regularly at Panorama Bar, uh, hosting frequent records parties with the likes of Spencer Parker, Jamie Fry, and Marcus Sukut. So I guess you could say he's a big deal. I'll leave it at that. Uh, one more thing before I start the show. 
it's the usual reminder to uh, spread the word. If you like it, tell your friends. Uh, send in some questions or topics. You can do that at the at the website. We actually do have one of those. It's www.trainwreckspodcast.com. And uh, so, yeah, send some shit in. Enjoy the podcast. All right, Matt. Thanks for coming on the show. Good afternoon. Uh, this is Matt Edwards, aka Radio Slave. Hi. Hi. It's uh, it's been a little bit of time, or it's taken a little bit of time to get you here, but finally we got you over. So yeah. we got a lot to uh, to cover today. Um, but first, you know, I, most of the people do know who you are, but we'll take just a few minutes to get everybody up to speed. Okay. Um, you you've been DJing for since what the early nineties. Um, I, I actually. I've been DJing in clubs since um, 1991, I think. Okay. But, of course, I was always, I mean, digging and buying music in my teens. Um, but it wasn't until, yeah, the early 90s that I got my first break in a club in London, Milk Bar. And back then, I mean, I didn't even have turntables and kind of was thrown in at the deep end. And, yeah, that's where it all began. So that's, where, you know, 26 years ago. Wow. Something like that. Crazy. And then the production started around when? Um, well, actually, I worked in a studio with two buddies in the early 90s for around 93 and I think 94. And we, we had a little uh, setup. Well, actually, a, quite a big setup for the time. And uh, we were tinkering away to about 1998. I'm sorry, 97 maybe. And then I took a break and uh, moved to Brighton. And uh, then I kind of discovered producing or making music on my own and then you know then that's how the radio slave uh name was born so right yeah on. i mean it's been i mean like i said i mean in the early 90s i was working with two guys in uh in south london we had a little label for a while and um called called scr which was south circular recordings named after the road that runs through south london and um yeah we put out some music by ourselves justin david who ran a label called future monument and also uh this guy sir lord comics who actually we're working with again in with records in 2017 and doing a retrospective so yeah oh of, nice yeah but back yeah back going back to the studio but it was completely different back then and you know we had the atari and it was that kind of setup yeah, yeah. and then uh but you know, I guess the first project that a lot of people kind of started to recognize you for was Radio Slave, right? Yeah. yeah. And um, what was that, like 2003-ish? Um, it started around September 2001 with the, okay. with the Kylie re-edit re -edit remix. And um, I mean, I had a lot of contacts from my time in, in London or being involved in London nightlife. So I was very fortunate and lucky to get it to the right people. The, and from there, the kind of, it was a very quick transition from being a kind of bedroom producer to suddenly doing major label remixes. And um, I guess at the time I was kind of doing maybe something different. So it was, yeah, it all kind of took off. Yeah. So I was, and of course, I, by then I was in, I was 30, 31, something like that. So it was, I wasn't a, a youngster. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, and also by the, so you, you kind of had a little bit of, I guess, a vision. Yeah. I mean, I think I was just really disillusioned by the state of dance music by the end of the nineties. It's kind mm. of, there's some parallels with what's happening now. Where I think uh, it's, things are becoming very mainstream and the un there's a the underground and the overground are 
are blurring so much yeah. that the maybe the quality level and just uh, there's just a maybe a, back then I felt that there was some great music. Mm-hmm. But again, of course, it wasn't being recognised and it was For very sure. much in the background. You know, artists back then, like, let's say, Larry Heard or Theo Paris were very underground, you know, yeah. and uh, not playing at festivals like they are now. And um, so I was kind of taking elements from the sets that they played or Felix Housecat or... And and also the disco stuff that I was hearing back then from experiencing... DJs such as Larry Levan or, or or guys like that, and uh, yeah, making these kind of re-edits of of of, yeah. of pop tracks and stuff. And I mean, you know, I think also like when you were mentioning names and like that, I guess I would say that you kind of came into it slightly more like matured taste or a deeper taste by that. Yeah, point. I mean, I think you know, definitely. I mean, looking back at the the productions we were doing in the early nineties to then. That back back then, in, uh, around 94, 95, I was really then just a producer and I was working with two other guys. One was the engineer and it was really, I was in the back seat and, and I wasn't hands-on. And I think that was very evident in the music that we created because I couldn't yeah. really get my, uh, I you know, couldn't really express myself in the way that I wanted to. But by, by the late 90s or the early 2000s, I'd kind of, I think I had a clearer idea or vision of of what I wanted to achieve in the studio. And yeah. I, it takes I mean it does take a while. It takes a long time, I think. Big time. I yeah. mean I, I think, you know, like I think another prime example right now would be like Zach Devious one. Yeah. You know, by the time he kind of broke into the scene, he was already in his mid thirties and he kind of settled. He knew what he was going after. He had the history behind it and everything. So it's I don't want to say like package makes it sounds like it's a product, but he kind of was well rounded by that yeah. point, you know. Yeah. Whereas I think if you're a guy that's say 23, there's a lot to learn. You're yeah. much more easily, uh, you know, influenced and stuff like that. So maybe that played into it as well. Would you say? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there was. I mean, of course, as well. I mean, uh, growing up in uh, in London, or sorry, DJing in London in the early 90s was was a real melting pot, and this was before all the sub genres. That you have now there was no drum and bass there was clubs like uh you know there, there, were, there was hardcore clubs but you didn't have the then you had the jungle but you didn't have all those sub sub genres yeah. so you could go to a, a, any club in london and hear ev- pretty much everything so um i think that experience um had a lasting effect especially later on when i was producing yeah so i mean you got plenty of of different aliases and projects yeah since then um, <clears throat> there's almost too many to to name, but you know, records or records. Sorry, yeah. that was more of a down tempo project. That was pretty big. Peers of Mars was that a label or no? The machine was yeah we, uh, more abstract. There's the record project, which was for Soul Jazz, and then the machine uh, project. There's lots of projects and things. Yeah. Just check out his Discog page. <laughs> I mean, there's one for every genre almost. Yeah. But I mean. Yeah, over that period, there's just so much to that you could spend a whole episode talking about. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I think what it comes down to is, you know, after you got that break with doing some of the radio or pop remixes, you kind of were at the forefront of most movements that were relevant, you know, in the last 10 to 15 years, be it what was going on in Ibiza or yeah. Burkhine and Panorama Bar or, you know what I mean? Like all yeah. these kind of where things were popping off. And um, 
you know, the remix credits uh, are huge. I I think maybe Armin van Helden's the only person that's done more remixes than you. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess there was a period maybe around 2006 to, to, to probably around 2005, 2006, I was doing a lot of remixes. and But also, I mean, I think that maybe the the material, the source material that I was working with was really good. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, it was I was working on a lot of songs, um, and that's always a great pleasure. You know, where you have mm-hmm. so, the source material is great. You can then dissect all these wonderful stems, you know, that full of all these great parts. Yeah. And in fact, you know, it's far easier doing a remix like that than it is trying to remix a techno record, where you've got yeah. maybe one part <laughs> yeah i mean that, so, so yeah it's, that's definitely what i wanted to get into later talking about you know the remix culture part of it but i agree like you know they they say will you remix this track and it's like okay you got one drum loop yeah one synth stab and a kick drum yeah well like, I, I mean i try there. as much as i love doing them i try, I try to avoid them and i also think it i i do struggle i mean i think most people do when when you have music like that unless it's a it, unless there's a really big hook but then i mean if it, if there is one great hook that makes up the song then probably that's what made up the original song in the first place well made that made that song great yeah so why change it so um yeah i mean i'd i'd, I'd rather stick to doing working on real songs maybe so but that being said are you kind of focused on original stuff right now or just kind of whatever um well i mean <laughs> this year i've I've been trying to do more and more work in the studio. I've kind of stopped taking on remixes. I've got a few more that are going to be coming out to the end of the year. And um, I've kind of been focusing on uh, producing an album, which hopefully will come out in the middle of next year. And I'm... I'm As Radio Slave or yeah, a different project? Okay. Yeah, and I've kind of... Um, I've not announced it. I, was, I mean, it's still a work in progress. And to be honest, I... Maybe it won't happen. <laughs> right now, I mean, I've got the next... I've got four of maybe 14s tracks finished oh. and um it, but it's been a good learning process for me i've been going back through a lot of uh demos that i made years ago and um, i think the problem with most producer djs like myself is that the more i traveled i think the the the, the knowledge slipped away and i think it's i true. forgot about um the things that i was using techniques that i was using in the studio and um so i've been searching all the all the drives that i have dvds looking at parts and um trying to get back to that because you know i mean in 2004 2005 i i could comfortably live comfortably by producing you know more than i you know and i wasn't djing so much of course i love djing Mm. but um you know i like learning as well and like being in the studio it's that creative process that you know i still love I hear you. And I mean, but in fairness, uh, you know, you say that you haven't produced as much, but there's still like, let's say even in the last three, four years, you got a number of hits as yeah, Radio Slave and maybe. you got other albums and projects you've done, yeah. which is, you know, maybe a bit more busy than most people's schedule, especially at your touring rate, you know? Yeah. I mean, I've, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I was, I guess like anyone, I, I guess I would just, I would like to have more time and um, to develop sounds and you know not be restricted by um it's just like with working on remixes there's always a deadline you know and yeah. there's always that point where you have to say okay i've i've got to stop and which 
with your own music, you know, sometimes you just want to carry on and on and 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 just get it right. But I guess there's another side as well where some of the maybe the most famous tracks that I've ever written have maybe only taken me a day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, but yeah, it's it's always different. It's always it's the process is always different. Yeah, I mean, I I, rem- I recall you telling me we were talking about one of the records you did and you. The, the amount of time that you did the whole record and just blew my mind. <laughs> I think you did it in a hotel too, the, the R&S record or something Maybe. like that. Yeah, it was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you know, for a lot of producers, they can work kind of fast, but there's guys that take, you know, a month to work on a track. And I think it really depends. With techno, you don't have to, but with something with a hook and a chorus, yeah. maybe it takes more time. Yeah, again, um, I mean, it depends. Some of, the, some of the best songs, pop songs, were written in a day and... Um, it's about capturing the moment, and I th- and um, yeah, sometimes you get it right. I mean, a lot of the demos though that I'm working on for my album, they involve um, a lot of rewrites, also adding more parts. There's, it's not something I can just do in a day. And in in that respect, I'm trying to treat it in a different kind of working way to what I have previously, maybe. I hear you. And um <laughs> that makes sense. No, it makes perfect sense. <laughs> but on top of the uh on top of the studio front and touring which already takes up a lot of time. Yeah. You're you're also doing uh electric uniform now? Um yeah, I mean that's a project we we started um even I started in 2014 and um it's now coming to kind of coming to a close but from that we now have a, a love hangover store and um we're trying to build like a, a one-stop shop marketplace for selling uh maybe independent brands t-shirts um we sell, we right now we have like nina's trip t-shirts mm-hmm. on sale so um but yeah that was a kind of uh it's something i've always wanted to get involved in the kind of rag trade and and, and producing mm-hmm. and making clothes it's kind of similar to making records and running a record label especially right now man. Yeah. you know and, yeah go and, on. and um you know it's a very, I, I say it's a very similar process and there's a lot of people trying to do it but um yeah we had some success it, it had its ups and downs but um i really like the love hangover platform and um and and um hopefully in 2017 we'll be working with other labels and we'll see how it goes i mean in 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 the as the market for physical products especially within music shrinks um, we hope that we can offer people maybe a platform that they can sell you know their wares whether it's vinyl or, or t-shirts yeah. that seems to be the way it's kind of going you know yeah. myself included I've, I've got merch sitting in in the back room there yeah. and uh it's i mean yeah i guess it helps to potentially generate revenue but it also is another artistic outlet if you're uh, clever about it you know what i mean if you have a cool artist or yeah. you, you have a good taste in, in fashion or whatnot um and then of course there's just record label t-shirts the black on white white on black whatever yeah. we all have those too yeah. <laughs> you know so no it's good i mean I, I i enjoy it i mean it's it's just another side of what we do and yeah i mean i'm just i think yeah, i think we'll expand in 2017 with other brands but it's again it's a learning process the whole um from 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 creating the designs to then making the shirts it's exactly like making a record and finding mm-hmm. the right manufacturers etc cetera, etc cetera. so it's 
And it's no. not always easy. And no. it's expensive. <laughs> you know, I've, I've been using that analogy a lot lately when I've been talking to people about the music industry. And, I mean, we got a whole shitload we can talk about this on the show here. But mm. I really feel like right now putting out records is the same um, business as like H&M or Zara in the sense that it's like you constantly got to be putting something out every week that's slightly different. And yeah. then it's just right on to the next thing and the other shit you just kind of throw away. Yeah, for sure. I mean, of course, there's things that stick out, but that's the, the general climate. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I think you're, you're, you're right. And um, yeah, there's, there's definitely a parallel, especially with the way that people are consuming, in you know, whether it's media or whether it's clothing, whether every, with everything. Yeah. And the attention span is very short, and um, people want everything now. And yeah, I mean, it's it's. A, I think it's a very confusing and uh, complex landscape that we have to navigate to try and, you know, do what Definitely. we do. It, it's it's not like it was, let's say, even ten years ago. No, you know what I mean. It used to be you could put out a good record, and it, it was a good idea to maybe try and get in the magazines. Hopefully, yeah. you get a review in a magazine, and that's kind of what you aim for. But I mean, yeah, these I mean, days it's different. It's that's almost the last priority. Yeah, you know? I mean, we started. I started records ten years ago, and um, you know the 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 sales were completely they're completely different. I mean, oh, yeah. even for even for a small record and what the distribu- distributors would buy. I mean, it's it's another story. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the the th- the thing is, is like. Some people say, well, 10 years ago, a lot of DJs were playing the same records. Like you could mm. expect, like, let's say, Locodites to play the same record as Chris Liebing or something. Mm. Um, whereas now they both are, you know, all these, there's different facets of house and techno and whatever in between. Yeah. So it did split up a bit, but I think in people, in general, people just aren't buying music like they used to. Even digital sales plummeted. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, yeah. I mean, I, th- I think it's fascinating, fascinating because. I mean, from being, uh, I'm, you know, I'm still a, a, a record buying fan, yeah. you know, a music fan, and but I mean, I just can't get my head around um, maybe what's reviewed in Resident Advisor and then what's at the top of the techno charts in Beatport, and it makes the the, the it just shows you, um, I think for maybe uh, maybe a young DJ or, or someone just getting into it, I mean, it's it's in it's it's a minefield and it's it's. It's so complex, and a lot of it doesn't make sense. No, because if you believe that this is techno that's being sold through these platforms, and then you read something on an online magazine, it's something you know they're both telling you completely different things, and and then you go into Hardwax, and they're telling you and they're showing you or presenting you something completely different. Yeah, again, so there's like maybe three or four, five or different different ways of buying Definitely. all this this stuff and it's and it's within those five it's a thousand possibilities so yeah and i'm, I'm it's it's interesting though because there are different avenues like let's say the beatport market quote yeah. unquote that's a completely different market as opposed to what's available at hard wax whether yeah. it's records or digital you know i was playing with one of my friends when we were djing at a gig and he's like man i don't know where the hell you're getting those records from <laughs> and i was playing them I'm, i thought like to be honest, I don't feel like I was digging that hard. I didn't play a lot of old right. stuff. It was quite contemporary. Yeah, and it just turns out we shop at different places. Yeah, you know, and yeah, that uh, can that can be it. And I, I think going back maybe ten, twenty years ago, I mean, it, that just it wasn't. It was just wasn't like that. <laughs> no, not at all. But I mean, it's interesting. It's it's all perception. Like 
for example, if you're an avid reader of fact, resident advisor, accelerator, whatever, mm-hmm. they have deemed what is considered like good to them or popular to them, yeah. whether it's right or wrong, I don't give a shit. But um that is sometimes greatly different than what's going on in the climate of clubs. Like you yeah. can there'll be a DJ you never hear of on any of those sites, but he's doing 10, 12 gigs a month and making two, three grand at each gig. You know what I mean? And that's a damn good um, career at this point. So uh, it's really interesting to see how it all works and to see where you fit in. It's it's insane. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a definitely, it's confusing times. Yeah. But I mean, (laughs) there's different ways to go about it too. Like, uh, for example, you know, you can kind of build up just the LeVon Vincent way where you mm. do one or two records a year that are, like, really credible. Yeah. There's some guys that pump out six, seven EPs a year that are really yeah. good. You got people that just buy their way in or do ghostwriting and yeah. stuff like that. And, um, yeah, you know, I don't know. Of course, obviously, the the first ways I mentioned are much uh, more... Yeah, but Credible, I think but... I think I, I mean I think that the even the ghostwriting thing I think transcends down into our world, and yeah. I think you might actually I mean I don't particularly I don't follow it and I don't follow a lot of blogs or sites that might incriminate people, but I'm yeah. sure that there's a lot of people maybe that we know that use. I mean I have no no problem with producers uh, using um, mixing uh, engineers. Oh, I mean, definitely. For, for me, that's the it's the the kind of science part of music that I wasn't trained in. I don't use. I've, I mean, I've only used Matt Matt Styles on yeah. for the um, for the last EP on Running Back. He helped um, mix the the record, which mm-hmm. was great, and he did a really good job. But because um, it was it was that project that it was very sample based and sample heavy, mm-hmm. and I just couldn't get the mix right at home. Yeah, but um, I think for if you're you know, I think for people that are just going out and releasing records under their own name and not crediting the producers, I think that's really wrong. So Big time. You know, and I've had people write in, like, wondering about ghostwriters. People want me to call people out on the show, which I think <laughs> is a terrible idea. Yeah. I mean, not just for my death threats coming my way, but, I mean, in a sense, it's like, I don't really believe in the whole name and shame thing. No. And, for example, I mean, listen, I... I don't really respect someone that has a full, like a full-on ghost writer, yeah. you know. But it's like for the fan, does it really matter if this person made it or not? The fact is, if they enjoy the music or not, yeah, that's the most important. But they should not be lied to, yeah, you know. Yeah, no, I mean, we've had to stop working with someone who is using a, uh, a ghost writer, and um, I think you can hear it in maybe the music that person is now re- uh, producing and um i don't know i mean again like you said i mean if the fans don't care i mean you know a lot of things that we have to deal with in our little world or our bubble is completely fake yeah so i mean that's just one of the many things that's kind of out there but i think it's quite transparent and i think you can really for me i, I think you can really tell the people that that love making music and love producing music you know you can really hear it in their productions whether it's someone like Trump Prince or mm-hmm. you know um, I was a big fan of James Holden you know years ago and you yeah. can hear these guys are, have such a unique sound and it really comes through you know so and that's very 
that's maybe impossible to replicate. You know, I you, agree. You, so, um, and you can hear that, you know, it's the same. So it's, I don't know. I, I think there's so much music out there that, that I mean, I guess hopefully, hopefully that these people won't get anywhere with it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, listen, I, you know, as far as, as far as having a producer that does ghostwriting, I'm completely against it. I don't really yeah. have respect for that person person that uses an engineer or like yeah. somebody to help them in the studio if you know if they're just kind of helping you get the mix right or whatever in my opinion that's fine because traditionally and that it wasn't just bands but it's yeah, also yeah. djs they needed to have an engineer yeah i mean because was, not everybody had ableton 20 years <laughs> ago that wasn't an option yeah. so but, i mean i always think if you look at the, the best hip-hop producers i mean they're they're sorry they're they're all beat makers so they they they're never the, the the mixing part of the album was is never their thing. Yeah. They have the, 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 their guy, and you know that's it. I mean, and that's what they they do. And, and you know, for for someone like myself, that's a, that's the thing. Again, going back to having enough time to be able to finish work in the studio. I mean, that's the the part that sometimes can really uh, it takes me the longest. You know, getting that mix right. I mean, I I think that's for the most part going to be the biggest issue for everybody that once you have a decent track like once you get a great idea down yeah you know sometimes most of the time we stumble onto that right it's usually a yeah. mistake the great idea but then it's like getting it to sit right in the mix or make it sound interesting for 10 minutes yeah. which you've become a master of and i want to <laughs> go into that also but i mean yeah i, I don't know I, I the thing is is you know i guess I'm not really a big fan of also when people do have a studio engineer and they act like that they don't. Yeah, you know. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, it, I think again, it's a, as I said, it's a craft in its own right, and then the people need to be recognised for doing that job. You know, so definitely. Uh, yeah, but um, you know, I mean, that's that's one of the aspects. Another thing that I kind of wanted to bring up here is um, just the social media aspect of it all. We touched on it a little bit ago. Uh-huh. And it's kind of a really big topic in a variety of different ways. Um, I mean, do you have general feelings to kick that off? Or? Um, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I've come to use actually social media less and less. I mean, I, I love things like Instagram. I'm, I'm kind of as, as much a voyeur as everyone else when yeah. it comes to things like that. And um but um, I don't know. I mean, I think the peak's kind of over. And I I actually think that maybe people forgot, if you look at some DJs and look at how many fans they have, there was a real jump for a lot of people, I think around 2009, 2010, yeah. where people had 20,000 followers and suddenly they had 200,000. Yeah. And, um, you know, suddenly, you know, you'd, you'd look at this, back then you'd look and say, well, look, this DJ's really, you know, how come this person's got so many fans and you look and, you know, all their fans are being in Mexico or something like that. And yeah, I yeah. think people have forgotten about that era, you know, because maybe these days, I don't know, maybe people are more savvy to look, you know, and see the jump. But I think a lot of the DJs, the big DJs we knew, we know yeah. might have done that a few years ago. Definitely. You know? But the other part of it was, is you could get that, what, like, let's say Facebook refers to as the organic reach. So, you know, when I first added my profile to Facebook, for example, it climbed up significantly right away without yeah. me having to pay for anything. Yeah. And now that they've forced everybody to monetize, yeah. uh, you know, people aren't just going to randomly stumble onto your shit unless you're kind of forking out some cash. Yeah. So, 
Yeah, um, I mean, we, I mean, we use it occasionally for things, mostly more for the love hangover. But I mean, we struggle. I think it's just difficult. I mean, it's it's uh, you know, it's 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 a uh, yeah, it's not not easy. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, you know, I had I had someone write in and they're like, "What's how is what's the correct way of doing it?" And I'm not sure that there is a correct way because it really comes down to who you are as an artist and your taste and yeah. stuff. But I mean, some people choose not to use it. And I mean, and it works for them. I mean, it depends what kind of person you are. I think some uh some some of the people in our our world are too vocal and um have become yeah, really unstuck and up. and I, I think this year especially You've seen some, uh, there's been some incidences where it's really had a, uh, it's backfired on people, you know, because unfortunately you can't delete, well, you, you could, they think, people think they can delete what they write, but it never goes away. And, and if people take screenshots, et cetera, I mean, it's, um, can be the death of you. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's kind of driving me nuts in a way because, um, it's kind of seem it, that's what's kind of driving things at the moment yeah. as far as like what people are talking about rather than the music. Yeah. You'll never see a DJ posting a record like, you know, a YouTube link like you got to download or yeah. not even download it, but buy it, listen to this. This is great. It's more about like what they're eating for lunch yeah. or what they think about, I don't know, transgender issues yeah. or, or whatever yeah. it is this week that, you know, and um, anything but the music basically. Yeah. And when the hell did DJs become you know, the spokesperson for being politically correct or... You know, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd, to be honest, I'd rather not know. And I mean, from being a fan, uh, I've had some... I've been disappointed by back, back the pre-internet days when I used to be a promoter in London and I did some big events at Fabric and Home and I put some big names and uh, I was super disappointed when I actually met them because they said, so, you know, you... If, you have this kind of romantic idea of, or this kind of like, you know, this, yes, yeah, a concept of what someone is like from their music. And then when you meet them, it can be completely different. And um, unfortunately, I think Facebook is rife, you know, with, with it's, I don't, yeah, like you said, I don't want to know, you know, no. um, you know, about a lot of things. Yeah. But, <laughs> but, but I mean, even like, let's say, let's not even talk about in the negative aspect of like what their personality is. But it just kind of seems like unnecessary shit. Like, for example, after when did it become to this point where every DJ afterwards has to post this thing like, oh, whatever city you were so amazing yeah, yeah. last night or thanks or whatever. Yeah. It's like I, I was curious about this. And I look at other like rock bands that are famous or small hip hop comedians, mm. whatever. Nobody else after every single gig is like, oh, my God, <laughs> this was incredible. And I'm like, listen, as DJs, we get lucky on some great gigs. But yeah. No, I mean, I think I think there was I think Luke Solomon did a post about this, and you know, he said that he 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 wrote exactly what you just mentioned, and I think for a lot of people though, you know, the, the, a lot of people you know are working. It, it's a job, so people are, it's a work. You're working as a DJ. You might want to have repeat business, which is what it's kind of all about, sure. and show your respect to the to the promoters. I mean, it's no easy task being a promoter anywhere in the world. And it's um, having been one myself. It's a. It can be a horrendous job. It can be. It's it's hard work. So um, yeah, but I I know what you mean. And I mean, I think that the other problem here is that um, photo, photographs can paint a complete different, completely different picture of what a night's like. You know, especially when 
you, s- you see these photographs of say clubs in Ibiza or you know where and you know the, the club might be half it, half full but yeah. the, but the I've been, photos say otherwise yeah I've, I've seen that I've been at these parties where people post these photos and I'm like I was there what the hell time, <laughs> did I go to the bathroom and miss something yeah. because that was not what it was like but I mean again like you said you gotta you gotta get that repeat business or it's, yeah I mean I is, think I think for it depends I mean you know you I'm always surprised. I mean, I might write something, and I'm because I've I've gone to some small little city or town in Italy, and you know I would have never expected to have the experience that I did. So mm. in that way, you know, you want to um, kind of write about it. But yeah, of course, there's definitely going to be moments where you're like yeah. genuinely surprised. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's I don't know. I mean, it's it's a it's a it's it's difficult because again, it, there's so much. It's, it can be very misleading and it can be the and facebook can be so fake in that way and um so i mean you you never really know and i guess you know that's why i think i was maybe that's what attracted me to maybe nightlife in the, in the first place when i was like 16 or 17 it was the kind of allure of this kind of world which you know was just super enclosed and underground and it was no it was just music yeah you know so there wasn't i mean back it's funny because i think from when i was like 19 to maybe 26 or 27 i think there's very little photographs of us partying or going to raves and we went to a lot of raves around england a lot of free parties and of course there was always one photographer or one guy that had a camera in the group but i mean it was very rare that someone would be taking photos at these parties yeah or documenting them so um yeah and these days it's completely it's the opposite you know so yeah and that i mean which for some people that's fine it's just kind of tough for me to to bite down on because that's not what i i got into this for no but i mean I mean, it's easier to remember people <laughs> yeah exactly there's that's part of it um but i mean there's also other parts of, of it too it's not just the social media how it plays into it but the actual media be it magazines and yeah. blogs and news sites and stuff like that you know and we were talking like uh for example um uh, before the interview we were talking about how we feel like uh club artists are getting pushed into like you know idm leaning um, yeah. projects and whatnot yeah i mean i, I think there's a definitely there's things of being heavily distorted especially for the clickbait of um not just on social media, but also the, the the media in general, and I think it puts it puts a lot of pressure as well on on young artists. I think, um, yeah, it's it doesn't make things easy. Again, there's a lot of fabrications, and maybe there's tenuous links and associations to maybe artists in the past, and especially when it comes to things like IDM. I mean, I I really enjoyed IDM in the early nineties. Yeah. You know, um, we used to watch the videos to Artificial Intelligence when we were in the middle of Wales mm-hmm. and uh, Love Beaumont Hammond, Black Dog, Wagon Christ. I mean, the list is endless. Sure. I mean, it was a big, big genre back then. And and um, of course, then later you had, when I was living in Brighton, we used to go and buy records off this guy. And this was the type, this was around the time of Scam and all those labels. Yeah. And um, I wasn't so into it then, but I could see the, I could the see allure. Yeah, the allure. And they were interesting records, but I mean, I, back then I just wasn't into it. Yeah. 
But I mean, I think these days when they say there's an IDM re- revival, I mean, I don't think you can really have a revival of this kind of music because the music's there already. Yeah, it never really it went never away. went away. I mean, Black Dog still tour and they still. I mean, and of course there's great artists, and I think in this way it's upset people. And I can see, you know, again going back to, to social media. Guys like Christian Vogel getting pissed off because you know their music's maybe not being represented in, as much as it should be, and there were, there's a lot of great artists from the early '90s that made the maybe the best of that music. Oh, of course. And anyone, easily. I think anyone now who's I'm not going to dismiss young the young producers that I'm trying to emulate or copy this music, mm-hmm. but I think it really is that it's a kind of uh, it's kind of like getting the music and putting in a photocopier. It never will come out the same or as good. It's kind of just a a, a weaker version, a clone, a clone. But it's, but it's also it's not it never be the same. It hadn't, doesn't have that yeah. you know the the color of of that music. Well, I mean, it, not I mean, there was a lot of dark experimental music in the nineties too. But a lot of it was a bit more campy and stuff, like even leaning towards like the orb and the, the yeah. I guess you could say more ambient. Yeah. Uh, whereas now it's almost like uh, uncool to have something so uh, bright and melodic. A lot of these times, maybe, maybe. Yeah. I mean, maybe that will come back. I mean, maybe. <laughs> but I mean, right now you got a lot of kids that are doing like distorted amen breaks over yeah. chords. And I mean, I, I have to say, I, I love, I love a lot of the ravey stuff, the, the, the breaky things that. Oh, I do too, and I, and I love pads. So but I mean, it, yeah, I mean, I, I, I buy it, I play it, I yeah. like it. But I mean, a lot of people are under this impression that that's just what experimentalism. Like, no, there's no. there's a whole other world to it. Yeah, but um, I, I think as well. I mean, touching on what you just said about droney music. I mean, I have. I mean, I wish that there's so many producers that, or that are touring as DJs. That I mean, I wish just wish they would make straight up club tracks. And I mean, we're being now we're being overloaded with you know, ambient drones and kind of like techno albums that are very experimental. I have no problem with that. Yeah. But I don't, th- I think if you're going to produce and make that music, then then you should play it. And if you're not totally. playing it, then, because for me, I, th- I think there's definitely a lack of great club hits or, you know, and, totally. I, and I think it's, these have got become less and less. And, and I think, and I guess for a lot of producers, they think they maybe look at it and think it's really uncool to make a track that's really functional and hundred percent, you know, that works for crowd and and pushes all the right buttons. And of course, there's great, there's some really good guys that are doing it now, but they don't get the props because they're not. It's considered dumb music. Or yeah, something. it's not. It's not just arty and 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 I, th- I you know, I, I, I'm, yeah, it kind of really, it really annoys me. <laughs> no, I, I agree a hundred percent because a lot of times I think the the thing is now is especially as you get a little bit of uh, popularity or notoriety, you fall into this mindset like, well, first of all, they just stop producing, and yeah. it, it shows right away that these people maybe they were artistic at one point, but at this point they don't care; they're just more interested in the money and the, yeah. the gigs and stuff, which yeah. that's fine too if you're upfront about it, but. Um, you know, then when they do get in the studio, they're like, well, now it has to be something special and artistic. Yeah. And hey, don't get me wrong, I can get behind that because I kind of feel the <laughs> same way. But is it so bad that you can't just create one club track? Because that's yeah. what you do. You know, like one of my favorite DJs, for example, is Donato Dazi. He yeah, makes yeah. all this dreamy stuff, somewhat, well, I mean, for techno, it's experimental. Yeah. 
But the last few times I've seen him, he just bangs the SN out of it, yeah. like hard as nails. But he's not releasing those kind of yeah. tracks. And I see that all the time with people. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. It's um, I can see what's going on. And I think it's it's the it's, I mean, if it's maybe it's not easy, but I mean, I I would I think to layer chords, add kind of field recordings, and call that music. I mean, people did that twenty years ago, and I mean, I'm I'm a massive new age fan, massive ambient fan, and I just I can buy the, I can buy what people are doing now, and I, I find it interesting, but. You know, again, it's kind of been done before and, you know, how many kind of ambient records do you need? You know, especially if you're a DJ and you're using them as intro, outro or or for layering within a uh, within a set to create a, uh, an atmosphere or or what have you. And um, and I think that maybe the more actually if you really get into, if you love that, just if you love just that kind of music, I think you're you're going to end up going back in time and 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 kind of digging out maybe Pete Namluk or other artists from the past because mm-hmm. they all did it before. So I'd, I, I would rather that there was more and more great club records just from a DJ point of view, you know, and and then if I want to buy anything else, I, I, I'll invest the time in those specific genres, you know? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I I just don't understand, like, you know, for example, when I did my album on Drum Code, it was pretty much all just club tracks. Yeah. But I did that intentionally because, first of all, it's on Drum Code. Yeah. That's yeah. what they do. Yeah. And second of all, I'm like, I'm a techno DJ. Yeah. So these are the kind of tracks I'm playing. And I got a lot of shit for it. <laughs> and um, the thing is, and it's... it's and I like, love it. I love the Against the Grain track. Yeah, thank you. I mean, yeah. it's still one of the heaviest tracks yeah. I've made in a while. It's but, uh, I mean, like you know there's this kind of push for producers to be like well you should be more artistic or have more range on your albums and while i completely agree why should you have to completely switch genres you yeah. don't you don't have a hip hop guy that's being forced into soul or no. jazz you know what i'm saying it's, and i mean they're not playing they're not playing ambient drones at uh dc10 exactly <laughs> you know i'm not saying i mean i, I played there once this year but it's but i'm just using that as a i mean it's if you listen to someone like chris liebing or you listen to some of the big techno guys like Len Faki or whoever. Yeah. They're not playing ambient drones uh, awakenings for two hours, you know. Oh, exactly. You know, they have to perform in front of tens of thousands of people and, mm-hmm. you know, really bring the music to, you know, they have to bring this kind of powerful music to this big, you know, these big crowds. So. Exactly. I mean, like you look at some of these... Uh, you know, podcasts or fabric CDs and at this selection and it's all this obscure experimental shit. And I'm like, listen, when I see this person playing in the club, they're playing truncate yeah. records, they're playing your tracks. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, I think, I mean, again, I, yeah, that's a good point because I mean, again, I'm not wowed by selections and especially not, um, I mean, podcasts are different depending if the, the producer kind of lays out what they're trying to achieve because, but I think when it comes to like mix CDs or, I mean, that's the thing with with the with the access of Discogs, with the access of YouTube, um, and from having been a digger for years, I'm I'm not wowed by people saying that they're just putting on like rare tracks or blah blah blah, because I mean, a friend always said it back about about disco was that um, if a track was really rare, a disco track, it probably meant it wasn't very good. Yeah, because <laughs> cause it wasn't played by yeah. the DJs at the time. 
or if so maybe not rare but maybe the word obscure yeah if it was very obscure it meant it wasn't being played and i think um you know you can search and search and i think you can always find obscurities and mm-hmm. things that people have never found and but i think that in this day and age it doesn't really make a difference and i think you can't really wow people that much unless they unless they don't really care i mean this is the thing about being maybe being with inside the industry and being a dj producer running a label is you have you have that kind of um there could be that side of you which is you know you're more into maybe analyzing music rather than just enjoying it yeah so you know, well that's and all of the that, internet <laughs> well, there, well there's that fear is there you know if when you listen to music are you really kind of listening to it or are you thinking about you know how it's being made what sounds is you know that sounds being used before or you know this guy's blah 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 how can he be doing this and you have this picture from facebook of what this producer's like or you know you have this mental kind of overview and and then of course you've got people that are just in clubs and maybe getting drunk and just listening to it <laughs> yeah but i mean that's the thing so you're gonna you're gonna I, I never really take the word of uh, internet critics too seriously on the internet because generally speaking, those are the people that don't go out. Yeah, and it's like you, you have to go out and get the feeling. It's like if you're a, if you're big into sports, if you go to a football game, the the energy you get from the crowd, there's things that are going to make sense then that don't at home. And For sure, same with music. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. And so I don't know, but I mean. You know, so there's a lot of that aspect. And so like another aspect that uh, it's coming up real soon is all these DJ polls, for example. Yeah. And I think oh, that's God. kind of a joke, too. You know, do you have anything to say about that or not really? Um, I don't know. I mean, it's interesting. And I mean, of course, I have my views on on how it all works. And um, I don't know. I mean, I think some of the people that are in the list deserve to be in in there. And I mean, whether you're the number one or number hundred, it. I mean, it's there's there's maybe another hundred or two hundred DJs out there, or maybe even more that are touring the world every week. Yeah, and, like I was saying and, earlier. And um, of course, it's all um, regional as well, because of course you can be big in Brazil. You, there's some DJs that are big in Japan. There's you know, there's some guys Definitely. that are just big in Germany, and and uh, I think it's again, it's very confusing. You know, it's I mean, I can't. I, I, it's very confusing to get your head around how it all works and and what it means because um, you, there's such a mixture of DJs from every kind of genre, and of course, I think it might have a negative effect as well on the way that some festivals book DJs where they just throw people together that are just off the RA top 100. And, um, and then, yeah, again, I mean, I I don't know how some people feel because some DJs are trying to project this image that they're, they're so cool yet they're bundled in with DJs maybe that they don't like. So it's, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I I don't, I mean, I, I I would never write on my Facebook vote for me and, but I mean, if people want to vote for me, please vote for me. Yeah, well, there's a thing. I mean, that, it's up to you. That that kind of goes perfectly into what I had to say. Is first of all, I'm not a, I, I'm not opposed to DJ polls. I think it's cool that people, especially fans, have a place to voice their concerns yeah. or, or not concerns, but like support. Yeah, I don't. But, know. I mean, I don't know whether RA is the right place. I mean, I don't know whether they, because now. Well, it just has a lot of power. Is all. Well, they. I mean, there's a conflict of interest. Maybe they. They. Their news broke news company 
yet they also are selling tickets. And and um, I don't know whether that's unethical in itself. So well, it just one influences the other back and forth. So it gets. So I mean, I don't know whether they are the right. Maybe there should be an independent company that does DJ polls and stuff like that. I don't know. I mean, that's just my view. No, no. I mean, you you raise a good point. I guess, and there's the thing is, is there's actually a variety of different polls. A lot of people seem to take that one seriously because it's such a big news source. Yeah. Um. But again, that's what I mean. They 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 are a news. Um, um, uh, news company or news based uh, mm-hmm. online service for music culture so I'm not sure whether uh, even whether they're biased towards some artists because they also run events and they promote parties so it's it's very difficult to say what's really right you know yeah. whether it's you know whether they're the right people to actually do that you know so yeah. I mean, it, I don't know. You can only tell by what I think. Again, who are the best DJs? It's where are the where are the best parties? I yeah. mean, one, one goes with the other, and I think outside of maybe the festival circuit, if you look at some of the really underground parties that go on, you know, there's some really um, core fans of our scene that will follow or go and see DJs, and that that's that's where you can tell whether someone's popular or not. Yeah, I mean, and even if that means it's five hundred people, or you know, it's those five hundred people that will always go to this, see this guy or girl, or yeah. you know, so it's it maybe it, it has it's the same effect of of someone who goes to see I don't know Tiesto in in uh, Wembley Stadium, you know. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, there's there's so many different like facets to it. For example. You know, Jeff Mills is always on the poll. I don't know where he is. It's always somewhere like yeah, and he 60 or some shit. Yeah, <laughs> but, I mean, he's a guy that almost always does well with his ticket numbers. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's got, got a got ton the, of gigs. The he, guy the guy is, um, I mean, I've lucky. I've been lucky to see him a few times over the last year through Oval Space. And, um, you know, he's just a hardworking DJ. I mean, his yeah. fees aren't huge. And he always puts on a good show and he, he rocks the crowd. Yeah, and you know, but he's kind of sitting there. He's he's not fatty. He's not. He's just there, you know. So totally, but you he know, deserves to be there. Some uh, somebody that's twenty four years old and kind of getting into this, if they see him at number sixty two, or let's say a like minded person, they might be like, "Oh, well, who is this guy anyway?" Right. So there's a lot of weird shit about that. But but and actually, that, none of that stuff really bothers me. What bothers me the most is people that beg for votes. Yeah, for sure. And first of all. My first indication on this that people need to realize is if you have to remind people to vote for you, they probably were not considering you as their favorite <laughs> DJ anyway. No. And uh, the second part of it is is that, you know, I talked to some of these people first fr- you know, firsthand about it, and they're like, well, it's nice to be recognized, uh, you know, for what you accomplish. I'm like, I get that. But it's like maybe playing three to four times a week for five figures in solo crowds isn't enough. For the ego boost, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, well, I, I mean, apparently I th- not. But I think, um, I think a lot of DJs, or I think some DJs, treat this um, business like a sport. It's almost like being a football player. So they consider themselves Premier League, and they just they want the adulation. They also will just play, you know, as many gigs as they can, and it's about being at the top of your game rather than maybe being just a great artist or or releasing good music it's about being the number one or being in the top 10 you know it's it's all about that and it's about being at the right 
festivals the right things and I, I think it's a little bit kind of again it is they, or these people or DJs can, can treat it like it's a sport definitely I mean and, and this it's not exclusive to this industry like Wall Street's a prime example yeah. a lot of these guys are millionaires or billionaires multiple times over and you say like why are they working so hard because they don't really care about the money it's the the rush of yeah the wheeling and dealing yeah. so I mean I, and I mean, get it's, it it's but, a, I mean I think as well it's a it's addictive and, um, you know, having been on the road and, um, you know, for many years, I mean, you know, it's, I think you, you, there's some guys and girls out there that are spending more time in the air than they are on the ground. And um, I think there was a kind of like a, an interview with a, a guy to, you know, to do with the mental health within the Guardian his music, article, but, it, you know, it's to do with about the, you know, the reality of coming home after being yeah. by being like screamed at by a crowd and then coming back to the normality of day-to-day -day life and um, not being able to deal with this sort of that that kind of world and which is kind of odd but i think for a lot of people they're just on the road and you know and so to keep themselves on the road maybe they think well if if i can get this these extra votes it's going to help so yeah i mean like on one hand i don't i don't there's maybe there's the, maybe they don't care they don't they don't there's there's no shame in it you know yeah i mean i think as you know i think as you get older in general as as a person you know as, you just stop giving a shit about what dustin zahn thinks or other people on the <laughs> internet you know what i mean like it doesn't matter it's yeah. at the end of the day you're still going to be happy you're hopefully going to be surrounded by people that make you happy and you get what you want and if that ultimately leads to your, your happiness mm. overall then who gives a shit about everybody else you know, and some yeah. people don't care about the artistic side of this, or they they started no, off sure. that way. So I don't know. Yeah, for sure. But, I mean, again, it's a it's a business. I mean, dance music or electronic music, as we know it, is primarily an event business. The actual recording side or music side is 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 diminishing. And even though I think you know that that people said there was a boom in in vinyl sales or you know there's more people uh, buying music i think the reality when it comes to that is there's just more and more young people deciding to take a creative route in life and trying to avoid the kind of mundane nine to five so maybe it's music or maybe it's design but you know the the yeah. the tools are very cheap you know so people can uh, or they're free so you know, people can do it themselves, and there's, there's that DIY aspect. So, yeah. you know, the whole that whole the whole landscape of what we're involved in is completely changed. But, you know, going back to the the, the DJ thing, it's it's an event business primarily, and sure. that's why people are so concerned, and that's why the the polls have become such a, a major major thing. But mm -hmm. I think if you also look at a lot of the great promoters out there who do great parties around the world they know who the best djs are or the or they yeah. they, they have their favorites and uh, a lot of those guys aren't even in the top 100 so of course i mean it you know that the poll is just a it's a microcosm of what's really going on yeah. you know what i mean and you just got to take it for what it is it just sucks that sometimes that can determine everything else yeah you know? well i think i mean i don't know i mean i think the other the other bad thing is that there's so much time taken up by the end of the year with end of year polls what's you know the 
best record of the year and kind of it kind of this starts from like november from now basically it'll, yeah it'll start it's election very soon. season so um you know and I, as much as i like it I, I love reading like the groove magazine the, all the top 10 you know because yeah, i think yeah. i think that's a that's a they're, they're they're great at they they get a very kind of real kind of overview because mm-hmm. i think they deal with they they work with a lot of great djs and so the um the charts can be can be re- really good a good read yeah but um yeah i, I don't know the rest of it's very frustrating well i mean you know like you said you you enjoy reading bits of this and stuff like that i have to say like even though we basically just spent the last 20 or 30 minutes shitting on the media or at least <laughs> i have i i still find something that I really like about it. You know, I think it's because growing up, even before the internet, yeah. I was always the kid that was going to the store, buying the music magazines, course, yeah. reading about bands or hip hop or whatever, who's feuding with who, all that kind of shit, because it made it all seem larger than life, you know? And Yeah, I mean, that was, I guess that's, I, I mean, I, I'm the same. And there was always that, for me, it was the waiting for the monthly mags to come out and going to the store. And, uh, but I mean, I guess there was more of the romanticism of of being that voyeur, looking at the photos, reading the charts, imagining what the party would be like, and totally. you know, thinking, "Wow, what's this guy like?" or "What's this, you know, what's the party like?" And I mean, I was like that, especially when I was working on music uh, um, when I was younger. I mean, because you you think maybe that DJ, you know, you try and. Because maybe you couldn't ever go to that that club or party. You know, it might be New York or it might be especially for Americans. Yeah, yeah, for everything sure. about Europe. Yeah, you know? yeah, for sure. So you had your own vision of of what was going on over here, and um, of course that's gone now with with uh, with the internet, and um, so everything's read so readily available. I think it's kind of lost that magic and and that kind of intrigue and mystery mm-hmm. surrounding our world and. You know, I guess that's what's great about living in Berlin and going to Berghain is that you, you know, there's it's still a closed world. You know. Yeah. Well, actually, that was that's a good topic to bring up because somebody wrote in um, a question about the prevalence of door policies in Europe. Right. Josh from Chicago versus the United States, and I think you know door policies is worth discussing real quickly. Okay. You know. Um, a lot of people, I mean, the first target, obviously, in Berlin is Berghain. Yeah. Everybody says their policy is so hard. And I'm sure you can attest to this. Berghain is not the only place with a door policy, and it's not the hardest one, in my opinion. Um, I don't know. I mean, I always, I think, it again, it's, I think about, I think, I think about some of the people I know, or maybe friends of friends I know who have come to Berlin, and they might not really know much about techno, but they want to go to Berghain. No. So I think they become unstuck at the door, even you know if they're asked maybe who's playing and stuff like that. So um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I I don't have a problem with the way that it works because I think that even though I don't go there so often, I mean, I think this, the crowd's still good. I mean, it's it's packed, isn't it? So no. well, the, the <laughs> I can't say whether it's the, the right people in there or the wrong people. I don't. Well, I'm, I'm not. A, I'm, not in, I'm not a regular offender anymore. In so. general terms, not just at that club. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah like. Yeah. Uh, someone put it best on the internet. I don't know where it originated or how I read it, but they said like, "Door policies are the worst thing ever until you're inside the club." Yeah, and I, um, I tend to agree. Yeah, um, well, I mean, I think there's there's another side to this, and 
I think a lot of clubs have suffered due to the fact that you can buy the tickets are relative readily available on the internet. Yeah. So with ticketing, uh, of course, I mean, what do you do as a club? You sell your tickets online, and you you don't know who you're selling them to. Yeah. So um, you know, I think especially coming to, to uh, with clubs in London and uh, made problems that Fabric had. I mean. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of that had to do with maybe door selection or the lack of it. And, um, you know, I think some clubs could, could learn maybe from the way Sven and the guys work at the door at Berghain. Yeah. You know, because, of course, Berghain, you can't buy tickets online. No. So the only way to get in is to get in and pay. I mean, but in London or, say, in other places around the world, you know, all the tickets might be sold online. So you don't know what kind of people you're getting in the club. Yeah. And that's where the trouble starts. You get fights. You could get groups of guys, girls, you know, all sorts of, you know, conflicts and Or even trouble. just people getting too fucked up, you know. Yeah, like, but or, I mean, just, it, just it, it can, you know, without knowing. And, you know, that's the great thing about having someone on the door who sees that person. They see them and say, yeah, you can come in. No, you can't. And yeah. if you don't have that, then, you know, then you're, you're open to maybe drug abuse or mm-hmm. problems which you can't control. So if you stop it at the door, you know, then you shouldn't have any problems. Yeah. And of course, door guys are going to get it wrong sometimes. That's just part of the the job. Yeah. I mean, mean, we've all heard stories. I mean, there's, there's, of course, it happens all the time. I mean. Yeah. I mean, I got denied at a club in Berlin like a month and a half ago. Granted, it was, I kind of figured... It was it was at Kit Kat. It was one okay. of those things, I've and I just kind of walked up. I never, neither did I. I was like, "Fuck it, I'll give it a shot." Okay. Uh, for those that aren't uh, particularly aware, it's kind of a more racy club, okay. not as in racism. But um, <laughs> anyway, and you know, I didn't think nothing of it. I'm like, "All right, fair enough." I'm dressed like an idiot, so I didn't get in. But um, the thing is, is then there's other clubs in town which have great lineups all the time. Yep. And a lot of people don't want to go there because they don't do any door selection. You yeah. got a bunch of idiots fighting and whatnot. Yeah, I so. mean, I, I, you know, Berlin's not without its faults. And, um, you know, it, it's without the techno tourism, it's actually, I think, the city, um, you know, I think that the, club, the clubs rely on people from the outside, you know, the bridge and tunnel crowd. Oh, man, or, big time. And also, you know, I mean... I don't know whether there's actually less clubs or more clubs than when I first moved here because quite a few have closed. And but um, you know, it's, I don't think it's I don't think I don't think it's it's easy being a promoter here either. You know, and um, it's not, not at all. so. Um, but you know, door selection. I think from I mean, it was always there was always the the girl on the door when I was when I was first going out in London. I went to some very kind of cool clubs with these midweek clubs in london and it was you know there was a girl on the door and people holding their hand up saying let me in and all that kind of stuff going sure. on and i think that was again kind of maybe the allure of, of allure of of going out and that kind of it being special and you know and, and what's going on inside i want to be part of that gang or i want to hear this music and and uh, not maybe the clicky side, but just the the fact that it's a it's a, a club within itself, you know, this kind of underground nightlife scene, you know, and um, wanting to be a part of it, and you know, seeing these characters, yeah. and, and um, so uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's. I agree, you know, and and the other part that Josh wrote for me, he was, you know, 
how is it common in Europe but almost unheard of in the U.S.? And I would have to say that actually I think it's just as common, if not more common, in the U.S. or like let's say top 40 clubs, hip-hop clubs or yeah. something. It's This thing isn't exclusive to underground music. I mean, you have in the movies all the time there's always the scenes <laughs> where it's like they get denied because yeah. you know the girl's like 40 yeah. or blah 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 I think, I think and, that it's sorry to interrupt I was going to say but I think um, I think around the world it doesn't matter where you are it's an added added expense for a lot of clubs so mm-hmm. a lot of places just don't have it and also the ticketing thing doesn't help because you don't yeah. need it because if you've got a ticket you just get in and um, I think the door selection is more I think is more common as you say, maybe a hip hop club or maybe something that's more shishi. Yeah, more posh and whatnot. Or more posh, but also it could be at something that's very underground. Where if it's only if it's a two hundred capacity club, then you're going to need and there's someone really it's a, obscure a, or there's you know some hot DJ playing, oh, yeah. then you're going to need someone on the door, you know. So, but um, yeah, I mean, yeah, what it comes down to is just like the that stuff's never going to go away. And to blame no. one club or one subculture is kind of ridiculous. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I like, it's been around forever. Studio yeah. 54 had a door. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I mean, come on. Yeah. And I, I, like I said, I think clubs do suffer if they don't have it. And I think a lot of the UK um, uh, club, maybe sort of external promoters that were using certain clubs, I think they, they suffered when the ticketing, uh, online ticketing came in because it suddenly meant that Hang on a minute. What? What? Are the, who are these like hundred blah 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 people in our club that we don't usually have? When you're, talk, I'm talking about something that's small, maybe for five hundred people. Yeah. You know, and and this club is kind of like revered on in the media. So suddenly, when the online ticketing sales were not were, were available, of course, everyone went bang bang bang. We'll buy tickets. You know, so mm-hmm. it made it difficult. I think. Yeah. Um, so we'll, we'll switch it up a bit. I, I ended up getting a lot of questions on the net once I announced that you okay. were coming on the show. You want to go through a few of them? <laughs> yeah, go on then. All right, we'll go through a variety. Um, we'll go into the ones that are about you at the moment. Okay. Uh, switch it up a little bit more nerd. Actually, this one isn't particularly pertaining to you, but you're a fitting guest for this. Yeah. Someone is curious about um, how does remixing work? Who approaches who? Is the remixer just sampling the parts? of the track or is the producer sending the stems to the remixer and how do you get paid? Um, well, t- usually, um, historically speaking, if we go back to maybe when I f- was first doing the radio, it's the same thing. It's, um, I had a manager, um, the manager would be contacted by a music company, a record label, sorry. And, um, then a deal would be struck between the manager and the label. And then the artist would send the, parts and they were back then they were usually couriered if it was from a major label you know the stems were couriered over and um yeah that was the process so um but these days it, there's it, it's it's a much smaller scene and with the internet i mean you can get you you can be in contact with the band or the the artists so things are much more loose um but yeah, that's about that's it. That's it basically. And then, when, with regards to production, I mean, you're usually sent the stem. If you're lucky, you get the, you get the, all the stems. If you're really lucky, you get all the. Stu- if it's with a band, you get all the studio sessions, mm-hmm. which you get all the outtakes. You can go through like hundreds of bits and pieces. Yeah. Um, it all depends on what you're what you're working on and and, and who it is. 
Yeah, and for I mean, there's a lot of people on the show that aren't producers. The stems would be meaning like each individual individual instrument or yeah. vocal or it's something. It's usually just like a um, yeah, it's a long strip that contains one uh, stereo or mono sound, and that would be from the start of the song to the end. Yeah. So and whatever's inside it, and sometimes it's grouped, um, and sometimes there's single s- s- sounds. Mm-hmm. And the last part of it was how do remixers get paid? I would say these days a lot of it's pretty much swaps. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean we we're commissioning or we commission a lot of remixes with records, and we work with all kinds of um, producers from people at the top to to young guys, and it all depends. It depends what it depends what you're trying to achieve, and depends what you want we want in return. I mean, and um, because I actually make music as well. We can usually strike a deal with a swap or something like that. So, mm-hmm. but I mean, the you know the reality is is that um, I mean years ago people were getting I think in the nineties I think uh, Master at Work or David Morales you were talking yep. like thirty to forty thousand dollars a remix definitely. But yeah. then you would be going in Sigma Studios and you'd be working with an engineer and you know there'd be everything would be on tape and it would be a big process. But these days. You know that we're 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 selling a small amount of units. So it, yeah, I mean it's yeah it's, it's laughable diff- what people get paid now. Yeah, but uh, but you know it depends. I mean, and also I think with technology, things have become a lot easier. So even if you're produce, sorry, if you, even if you're remixing uh, a band, I think the process is a lot easier. You know, so it could be years ago it was a lot it was harder. You know, so you would need other people involved. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and I would say, like, for anybody that, you know, is potentially doing a remix, you know, don't try to break the bank on somebody, especially if it's a smaller label or whatever. And, um, you know, like, let's say if a a big name does request you for a remix, um, maybe you don't necessarily have to request a shitload of money there either, but um, just trying to try to reach a fair deal you know what i mean Um, yeah i mean it's it depends it depends on the the artist and labels and yeah yeah. because there's definitely some deals that i did for remixes where i i really undersold myself (laughs) (laughs) but you know and then that the thing is those end up being really big tracks for me and i got paid with the gigs same so the same with me i mean some of the biggest remixes i've ever done have been ones where i've either done them for free or next to nothing. Or next, or next to nothing, and to think, oh shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you're like, man, I should have went for the points yeah, on that yeah. one. Um, another person asked, like, uh, how do you structure your tracks so it seems like everything is coming in exactly at the right time while managing to keep it exciting? Wow. Um, I don't know. I mean, a lot of time when I'm making music, especially if I'm doing an arrangement, I tend to... I don't tend to look at the clock and I kind of just try and get in this zone. And um, uh, I don't know. I mean, you, it's really difficult because I think, especially if you're doing a remix and you're laying, layering out other people's stems over your own uh, like beats or, or rhythm track, you can get some amazing uh, kind of like... Um, so like musical moments where accidents happen and things come in at the wrong time and all that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. there's no set rules with with that kind of thing. I would yeah. say. I mean, I I guess like I've you know a really common theme for your music is long um, tracks that kind of take their time to evolve, or yeah. the, the beauty in it is the repetition. Yeah. 
And I mean, I guess maybe you just have, would it be safe to say that you just kind of go with the feeling you're like, this is the time to bring the hi-hat in after yeah. two minutes or something. Yeah, or, or 10 minutes. Or 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it depends. I mean, again, it was, I think, I think going back and um, listening to music I made in around 2006, 2007, you know, I was definitely just getting hypnotized. I guess I was, I mean, if you... If you're really into what you're making and you you found that kind of sweet spot, then you're kind of happy just to listen to it, you know. And that's I think the, some of the one of the beauties of maybe you know electronic music or the kind of being repetitive is that you can just get lost in these rhythms, you know. And and uh, so layering and adding things, you can really kind of sit back and let it evolve. Um, I don't know. I guess these days I'm looking at maybe techno at the moment. I mean, it's getting the, the tracks are getting shorter at the moment, and mm -hmm. uh, a bit more immediate. Would and you they're, say? they're immediate, but I th also think that has a lot to do with technology and the way that people are using CDJs, where you can loop the intro, so you don't need a three-minute intro that you might have needed if you were playing a record. Mm -hmm. You know, where you know if you're playing playing vinyl, it was always nice to cue something up and have it coming in. You know, but with a CDJ, you can you have that immediacy of just looping everything. Yeah. I mean, you know, like, again, traditionally, you, you like you said, having two or three minute intros and stuff yeah. like that. Um, do you find yourself these days, like, does that still suit you? Or do you sit there and think, like, maybe I need to start trimming tracks down? Or do you? Um, I mean, it's only become, I, I always, with remixes, I always, if I can, and it's coming out on vinyl, I always try and get the whole side. I mean, mm -hmm. I would like that. That's, you know, because I, I think just with, it's, for the extra DB, the extra uh, increase in volume, especially when you're uh, competing against digital DJs, if you play vinyl, that is. And um, and also, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, again, this album that I'm working on, the tracks are, are very short, but I want to try and achieve or, or, or release maybe 14 or 15 songs on an album. So... I've actually recently I've done two remixes for Dinky and which are coming out later in the year and I've had to trim those down just for the vinyl and mm -hmm. so but I would have again maybe with those remixes they they could have been a lot longer so it all depends on what you're doing and and also the formats you know True. if it's digital then you can, it can be as long as you you'd like so sure and on vinyl I think you start losing maximum volume around twelve minutes or something yeah so. I think I think it's like thirteen and a half minutes something mm -hmm. like that yeah but um you were you're talking about the zone that you're in in 2007 that's the next question i doubt yeah. you'll be able to to answer it because that's a long time ago <laughs> but someone wanted to know how you made the bass in secret bass because it's so damn deep it says uh, i'm not sure i mean I, I yeah that's a long time ago and i think that actually the bass line in that track might have been a sample from a remix so i'm not sure that would then i manipulated so Okay. Yeah. Hard to say. I mean, at that that time, I was doing a lot of remixes. So I was collecting a lot of sounds, and I would um, always have about four or five versions. Mm -hmm. If I had the time in the studio, I would be maybe to write, writing three or four versions before I settled on one. Mm -hmm. Depending on whether it was a, of course, if you're if you're doing something for a big label, they don't want something that's very weird, you know. But mm -hmm. so there would always be the, the offcuts or things that I'd made. So. Yeah, I've done that with my remixes where it's like, okay, here's the hit, and then you can have the weird one yeah. for free. <laughs> you know, like. And now that's the thing. Now that I'm doing, now the the remixes I'm doing at the moment, I'm 
I prefer the I much prefer the weirder versions to the, of course. To, the to the club tracks. <laughs> but I mean, like I, I remember. Uh, I don't know if you were telling me about it or I read it on one of your pages, but like for example, one of my all-time favorites and many of your remixes, the the, the Peace Division, Black yeah. Blacklight Sleeves. Yeah, you were saying like I don't even remember how I, I yeah. Did this I anymore. mean that was that was that was one I think one of the last remixes that I did I made in Brighton. I had a really nice studio in in our house and um, it was really nice, really dead room. Uh, uh, sound was great and um, but. It, the original of Black Light Sleeves is very minimal. It's really simple. Like yeah. a really beautiful, it's very simple like club track. And um, so it's one of those ones I was like, yeah, love to remix it. And then when I started to work on it, I was like, shit, I, I don't know what to do. And then this kind of uh, remix kind of came out of nowhere. But at the time when I gave it to Nick uh, Harris, I thought he would hate it. And, it. and actually, I was really worried about playing it out at the time. And then it, it became this thing yeah. and like it's funny because rod had still plays it and lots oh, of yeah people i still play it. play it i mean it's yeah you know it's timeless yeah so, um but that was kind of like yeah that was uh i think it was kind of one of those kind of times where everything comes together and that's the thing looking back now i've got no idea how yeah. how or why i made it in that way but I mean, you know, and like we've been friends for, I think, like 10 years now yeah, or something. Yeah. And, it, you know, it just dawned on me now. I never even asked this personally, but like, so, you know, all these kind of tracks, the remixes that you were doing, because there were some definitely housey ones that might yeah. be suitable for some of them were made for Panorama Bar. Yeah. But, uh, you know, some of these tracks like that one were really banging at a time where minimal was kind of coming up. I mean, and the whole quote-unquote Bergheim thing yeah, didn't yeah. exist yet. It was no. almost a blueprint for it. So, like, where did this inspiration come <laughs> from where you're like, I'm going to make some heavy-ass shit? Yeah, you know? I've no idea. There's another remix at the time. The one I did for Roman Flugel was similar. And and also the the remix I did for Len. I guess this... I must have been coming to Berlin by then and must have been going to Bergheim. I can't remember. But I was definitely... I mean, I, that's the thing. I've always bought ev like all kinds of music and... Again, that, that was when I was living in Brighton, so maybe it was more of a this, this romanticism side of producing and imagining what people play and kind of putting yourself in that headspace of trying to create something or like you know that would be in, to fit in this other world, you mm -hmm. know. So being a bit removed in a sense, yeah, so, yeah, 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 which I think has its its merits for sure. For sure, know? I mean, I think I was. I mean, I was super productive when I was in, when I was living in Brighton, and when I moved to Berlin, I think for the first two years, I kind of like I was out too much. So that's everybody, though. <laughs> I mean, everybody that moves to Berlin, I'm like, okay, you're gonna party your ass off for yeah. the first year, even if you're like clean cut, you know, yeah. party. You end up doing it anyway. Yeah. And then you're like, oh shit, I gotta actually start doing something here. Yeah. And then they get a little more serious. Well, I think I'm in Berlin. The the it's things move a lot slower here. So there's definitely whether whether or not that gives you enough, uh, more time is another thing. But um, yeah, the the pace of life is definitely slower. And I think I just I mean I, for me I just I think I'd had these kind of like four or five years of just working nonstop. And um, so yeah, definitely kind of relaxed a bit. <laughs> yeah, I've noticed that a bit too. Like other people who were really busting their ass, uh, you know, over the course of a number of years, and then finally they start to loosen up a bit. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I, it was the same thing. Like, Richie, he was bald. He had the glasses on. He was working the 909. Yeah. And then he started hanging around Sven, and, like, of course, he caught some shit from it. I mean, yeah. oh, this is what 
almost 15 years ago now. If yeah. yeah, it is. But it's like, hey, man, uh, the guy worked his ass off. He's just kind of trying to enjoy life. And, I mean, that's how he chose to do it. But, yeah. um, you know, other people just are like, I'm going to stay home and watch Netflix. But, uh, <laughs> no, for sure. Um, but I, So let's go on to the next question here. It was actually meant for a, for a function interview I got coming okay. up. But I, I think you have some valid points. It's a little bit more risque. Um, y'all good over there? Yeah. All right. Uh, <laughs> So I'm just going to read this. The role of MDMA and other drugs in our culture and how that's creating a weird cognitive dissonance in countries with over-the-top laws, like in London with fabric, for mm -hmm. example. And, uh, well, we'll just start there. I mean... Um, I don't know. I mean, it's difficult. I, I, I was talking to, to a friend who works in nightlife last week about this, and um, I'm not so... I mean, of course, I DJ and I'm out in the clubs every weekend um touring but i'm not out in maybe berlin every weekend so maybe i'm not seeing um this is just talking locally how mm -hmm. um the what what maybe what drugs people are taking at the yeah. moment and and what effect it's had on uh nightlife culture i mean of course when i first started going out or i mean being 18 and being in london um i i missed actually the the acid house kind of period when it when it blew up i wasn't going out in 1998 um i was maybe 16 then and um but that was a complete explosion you know and that was yeah. a, of of culture uh, it was a revolution of um from everything from within music fashion everything you know yeah. and it was a it was a it was a, i think it was the last big musical movement that was influenced by drugs yeah. and um that of course that carried on into the 90s but i think it's difficult to put your finger on on, on drug culture now and 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 its place within nightlife i think a few years ago you had this kind of ketamine thing with the kind of vision quest kind of jamie jones world you know this uk club culture and um but I think these days it's difficult to put your finger on it. I think it, there's, I'm, I'm not sure. I yeah. don't, you know, it, I don't think there's, there's, there's like, I don't think people could say, well, dance music is associated with this drug or, you know, or mm -hmm. with that, how, which you could have done maybe in the, in the eighties or seventies mm -hmm. with disco in the eighties, you know, maybe with cocaine and then nineties or the late eighties, nineties with ecstasy. Yeah. But I think in this day and age, I don't know. I think it's a, cocktail of maybe everything that's the thing everybody's got their own poison some people want to drink uh yeah, booze. Yeah. some people just want to smoke a joint yeah. you know it, it really depends but i don't i think i don't think uh, electronic music is has a, an association anymore with with that or it, of course it will always have that with with nightlife and people going out and like sure. you said people drinking or getting high but um i can't say these days it's not like a, a, a certain drug that's attached to yeah, not one in particular. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I can definitely just from doing this for years and playing at parties and when I DJ, I like to be sober. Mm. So you kind of start to you can read the crowd a little bit better when you're not messed up yourself. <laughs> and there's nights you can tell like, okay, this crowd's leaning more towards one drug than the other. Yeah. Um, but I mean, yeah, I, I don't think there's any one particular drug that's responsible. And then the other part of it, because it was like a multiple yeah. question question. 
and talking about the responsibility we have and activism to change outdated laws. I mean, that's a... That's yeah, a, I think that's a minefield of a question. And I, I mean, I, I'm kind of... As, as, as the older I get and from being a father now, I mean, I mean, it's difficult to say. I mean, you know, some people take drugs and they're totally cool and they just mm -hmm. live their life and they do whatever and and then some people it ruins them and you know so it's really difficult i mean addiction i mean it's more of an addiction thing than actually i think the 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 i think the the problems of addiction whether it's consuming and um you know spending all, all your money on your or, or on on shit or or getting high i mean it, it, it's how you as a person can look after yourself, you know, and I think that the laws, I think, I think this again, um, it has a lot to do with media and everything and the way that we're kind of pushed and pulled by the environments we live in and being told to do this and do that and what's acceptable and what's not. Mm -hmm. So, but I mean, sorry, I was just going to say, I mean, I, I'm from being an, a, a smoker, ex-smoker, I'm quite happy to see that, you know, that the, the smoking is becoming less and less sort of prevalent in clubs. I mean, you, oh, can, st time. you can still smoke in, in Berlin and a lot of the places, which is fine. And I respect that. And I respect the fact that people have the freedom to do whatever that, that what they want to do and they should be able to. But um, just from a DJ point of view and, and playing and then going home and not smelling like a ashtray, it's kind of, that's, that's kind of nice. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and I totally agree with that, being a non-smoker. Yeah. Um, you know, my two cents on it is, you know, the whole pol the whole politics and changing laws and stuff, that's a whole other podcast, yeah. you know. Um, what I would, you know, what I've found in Berlin, or at least in our kind of um, expat crew or this industry, is there's a lot of people that don't necessarily do drugs all the time anymore or drink a lot, yeah. but like, you know, once every six months, they're like, I'm going out on the town in Berlin yeah. and I'm getting smashed and I'm going to yeah. do it up. They just kind of need to reset the clock and cut loose. And then they go back to normal. They go yeah. back to taking care of their kids or running yeah. their business or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I think, so, I think Berlin is, uh, sorry to interrupt you, but yeah. I was going to say, but I think Berlin, there's still a lot of freedoms in, you know, what you can do. The, um, licensing laws are very relaxed. So, I mean, you can go out like we do on a Sunday and go to Panorama Berghain and, you know, there's not that, um, you know, I mean, for a lot of people, the, their only release or might just be a few hours that they can drink in a club or, you know, that like yeah. you play in Italy and the club's closed at four. So there's this... Better get you know, smashed now. <laughs> you know, yeah. the kids are getting drunk in the car park on cheap booze. And then there's this two hours of like mayhem in the clubs, you know, so, and we don't experience that. And I mean, maybe that's where the problems ha um, happen with the the licensing hours and, and, and people, how people consume uh, drugs or alcohol. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think in Berlin, people would just take this leisurely approach of, well, you know, I don't need to go home. I don't work or, you know, whatever. <laughs> Why would I go home if I don't have to? Yeah. But, you know, and, and it's not just about how they take, um, the approach to drugs, but also why I think a lot of people, um, you know, even when I go out here in Berlin, I see people that are not necessarily, um, taking all this stuff because they're addicted to drugs. I see it because you can tell like, okay, this person has some depression going on or yeah. something. You know what I mean? And that's, 
that's the same in the states some of my best friends like it wasn't that they were chasing the high necessarily it's because there's a, a certain part of depression that's linked to it and yeah like i was yeah. saying i mean i think it's the, the environment the media the world we live in you know being told to do this and to you know you should be like this and i think there's a lot of st- stresses I mean, go, talking about music and for young artists, I mean, I think the, the, the pressure is enormous to, um, to to be like this or to, you know, like we were talking before with social media and blah, blah, blah. And, you you know, it's a lot of pressure on people. You Big know? time. So, which can lead to, you know, to people, you know, to taking drugs or drinking or whatnot. Yeah. Uh, which, by the way, I do have to say... I do kind of miss the whole rock starism in uh, in the media. Everybody like well, well, I think with 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 especially in our world, that's quite. I think that's really. I always think about this because I played in um, a festival in uh, in Romania and um, they had drones, you know, like uh, flying over you. And I was mm-hmm. thinking those days of DJs sneaking behind the DJ booth to do whatever they had to do. Yeah, you know, those days are over where you know the whole thing is being filmed from every angle, mm-hmm. and you know. The, the lunacy that maybe went on and maybe for young DJs, I mean, you know, that whole thing of being a professional, being like a sportsman and being, you know, being clean cut, mm-hmm. you know, wearing the right clothes. It, it's, and It's just a bit silly though. Cause you know, like people are, have been attracted to personalities like Seth Troxler or Jack Master and stuff that are kind of known for having a party side yeah. to them, you know? And it's because people like, I don't know, rock stars or the party attitude yeah, and stuff sure. like that. And, but it's funny because everybody tries to be so prim and proper. I'm like, look at the culture that you're part of. Let's yeah, not try yeah. and fool anybody. You know? No, for sure. I mean, it's, and of course, it's that's part of the parcel is that, that, you know, seeing someone having a good time. For a lot of people, you know, I always I used to get those people like looking at me, like just pulling this like smile face. Why don't you smile when you're DJ? And I'm like, well, because I'm concentrating. And hundred percent. I'm like, <laughs> you know, the monitors aren't working or the the, the, the stuff's not working and. You know, it's um, it can be. You know, it can, sometimes it's not fun. You know, yeah. even even if it looks like it's fun. But um, I think that um, yeah, I think that the, for for especially young DJs, maybe that whole element of it being a performance has maybe come into it too much, and kind of sucks that you know there's not that sort of carefree kind of environment, and especially I mean it's really difficult to stop people from, from filming parties and, uh, you know, and um, as much as I love like anyone watching some of it, I mean, it's can be quite tragic to see a DJ that's absolutely in pieces, not being able to play. And Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> so um, it goes both ways. Yeah, it? it goes both ways. And, you know, I mean, so I don't know. Yeah, I agree with you there. I just checked the the watch. It's actually getting a little bit late in the podcast. Yeah. There's plenty of questions, but we'll wrap up pretty shortly here. Um, before I uh, we go off and talking about other stuff, is there anything else that you wanted to mention? No, no, it's okay. all good. It's been fun. Yeah, um, but um, real quickly, you mentioned a few things. What's coming up that people should check out or anything that's just um, came out? Or Well, right now we're kind of finishing off records for 2016. Um, we're about to release the first official single from this uh, young uh, singer-songwriter. It's a kind of, it's a duo with um, uh, this producer from London, Zeb Wayne and the singer Zeewee. And um, I, well, we released a kind of like a precursor 12-inch in the summer, which was this track called Wolfman. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, the first official single comes out in December called Float from Zeewee. Does that include that track? Or is no, it, we, this will come out next year. We're, we're kind of doing these uh, very kind of subtle releases just to introduce her. It's a very different project or side of records. Um, and then we've got some other singles coming. We've got the remixes of Dave, David Morales from Head, Head High and Ryan Elliott. Um, Was that this year yet or are we going into next that's, year now? This, that's coming in the end of November. And then we've got a, a release to finish the year off from Dijols and uh, Jordan Fields. So yeah, it's been a busy year for records, but it's been a really good one. I feel like the label's kind of uh, back on its feet mm-hmm. and it's actually better than it's ever been. And um yeah, it's really it's been a real pleasure this year to nice. release some good music. What about you? Um, well, I'm going to release um, my next single will be the Records 100 release, which will be in February. Okay. So it's a track that I've been playing a lot, and um, I've just got to again mix it down, and um, yeah, maybe possibly get a remix. I'm not sure, but that will be the 100th release in f- the end of February, and then I'm going to attempt to release an album. So. I just need to finish it. Yeah. <laughs> well, hopefully you get some uh, time off in January. Yeah. Or well, no. I mean, I'm I'm working on it. I was coming together, and I'm kind of for once I've been working on stuff on the road and and um, putting putting it together. And it, I've been kind of sitting on it and playing some tracks out. And and it's it's a very been a very diff, different process, uh, which I've enjoyed. And uh, yeah, hopefully, I think it'd be nice. It'd be nice to release an album. I mean, I'm I'm not sure what format it'll be, but it'll yeah. So. Uh, you know, here's the thing, and I, I I gotta cut you off for a minute here. Like when it comes to albums, you know, I'm I'm interested in doing another album too, but I don't really have the concept yet. I'm just kind of trying yeah. things out. It's too early. But you know, when I talk to people, and I'm like, you should do an album, and they say, well, why would I do an album? Yeah. And it's like, well, why would you write a novel when you can write a paragraph? Why would you do a yeah, painting yeah. when you can scribble? Like, okay, so maybe it's not necessarily the kind of thing you usually do, or it's might not be right for your profile or whatever yeah. but as an artist and it's a, like a project you take on yourself you can be proud of it like because it's yeah. not a it's not like something you do in an afternoon it's no you know i mean for me i've been i think there's the, the kind of radio slave projects sort of gone full circle mm-hmm. and um yeah I, w- I would want to kind of explore some of the kind of aspects of what i was trying to achieve when i first started so the tracks will be short, but the idea is there'll be longer versions for the club. So it's yeah, it's going to be different. Awesome. Yeah. Um, podcast, anything like that? You're not much of a podcast guy, except <laughs> no. for this one. No, I mean we've what myself doing a podcast or oh no, like DJ podcasts or whatever. I, I'm going to be d- doing a DJ podcast for an evil like me saying this for Oval Space because we're I'm playing there on the first of January with Rob Hood and uh, a young guy from Berkheim. Awesome. Um, other like this is coming out in November. You got any other November, December dates? Of- um, next week, well, the next weekend, fly to Australia, play Strawberry Fields Festival, and some other stuff. I'm and in Australia or Australia? Australia, Australia. Oh. And oh, okay. then, I'm in Australia. Uh, and then we're actually doing uh, for any American listeners. We'll be in Miami for um, Art Basel, doing a records party with Tiana T and Rod Had and Jamie. So. Awesome. Yeah. It should be a good party. Yeah. I've always wanted to get to Art Basel. But you should go. It, it's amazing. It's just Miami and me don't get along so well. <laughs> <laughs> it always ends up being expensive or dramatic or yeah. something. So, um, And you said you got a couple remixes from Dinky. Yeah, I've got, right? I've got remixes coming out from, yeah, on Costan Rebels from Dinky. 
Okay. Excellent. Well, I think that'll wrap it up. Thanks for stopping in. And Thank I you. you I mean, back. yeah, sorry it's taken so long, but finally did it. Yeah, no problem, man. Yeah. I really appreciate you coming by. Cool. All right, have a good one. Thank you.